At special times, believers in the Old and New Testaments believe that they ought to make covenants together vowing that they would obey King Jesus. Following in their footsteps, in 1638, Scottish Christians signed the National Covenant which rejected the enforcement of prelacy on the Presbyterian Church. When threatened to have these rights taken away, the Scottish Covenanters in 1639 united under the Blue Banner which read, For Christ's Crown and Covenant. As direct theological descendants of the Scottish Covenanters, the RPCNA still honors the Blue Banner for what it stands for, that Jesus is the only head and king of his church. The Blue Banter podcast's goal is to go about informing the reforming by introducing you to our pastors and under-shepherds of Christ's church. By listening to this podcast, you will have greater clarity on the blessings and challenges faced by each of our congregations. We pray that the Lord blesses you through this podcast for Christ's crown and his covenant. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Blue Banter podcast, the podcast by pastors interviewing pastors for aspiring pastors and those who want to get to know our pastors. My name is Aaron Murray. I'm the pastor of Marian Reformed Presbyterian Church. If you Google interesting things in Marion, the very first thing that you'll find is our movie theater. I'm not sure why that pops up, but it's there. So if you want to learn more about Marion, maybe don't Google us. Normally, we have uh, Joe Smith with us as our co-pastor, our co-host. He is on vacation with his family right now, so I'm flying solo. But I do have the great benefit and privilege to be able to introduce you all to Micah Ramsey, the pastor of Eastvale Reformed Presbyterian Church there in uh, Beaver Falls. So, Micah, thank you for joining us on the podcast. You're welcome. Am I right saying that Eastville is part of Beaver Falls? I know those in uh, that area kind of get a little... uh, possessive of where you say they live like people say they live in uh was it uh east mayfield or whatever it is and it's like that's kind of beaver falls but uh we make the distinguish uh we distinguish between the two so is eastvale officially a part of beaver falls it is officially not okay i will i apologize i hope i did not offend you um by saying that <laughs> no <laughs> okay well i uh i appreciate you coming onto the podcast here um it was always a pleasure to be able to talk to you while I was living there in Beaver Falls for for a few years and um, just enjoying like the pastors getting together to, for prayer and uh, for breakfast. So I'm I'm looking forward to being able to introduce you to a broader audience in the RPCNA, um, which kind of leads me to my first uh, question or really set of questions. And the reason for this, this is, again, a bit different than what we've asked um, some of our previous guests. But I had one listener um, who she's new to the RPCNA. And she said she really enjoyed getting to know uh, more about our pastors. So this is, I guess, a more uh, intimate, um, though important question. What is, Micah Ramsey, what is your testimony and how did you come into the RPCNA? Yes, I was a graphic designer. I sort of became a graphic designer by accident. My goal had been to be a comic book artist. So I went to school for graphic design. I got one uh, rejection letter. Um, from one comic book company and I just fell into graphic design. So I was working for a print shop and I was there for a couple of years and a a new owner bought the print shop. The man was a believer and he lived out the faith beautifully. He uh, loved his wife well and she respected him. He disciplined his children well and um, they were both happy and respectful. And that was something that I hadn't seen before. Mm. Talked about Jesus like he knew him. When things went bad, he'd say, let's pray. When things went good, he'd say, let's pray. 
And uh, he took me to a few Promise Keeper events. The first first one I hated. And <laughs> why, why, did, why did you hate it? Uh, this goofball was preaching the gospel at me. And okay. I thought, I obviously, I'm a, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. I'm at this stupid thing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, by the third year, I'd been in a car accident leading up to this. And the boss loaned me his car. And I was listening to sermons on the radio because he had Christian stations programmed in on all the buttons. And as I listened, the Lord started working on my heart. When we went to the last Promise Keeper event that I went to, it was in 1997, a man preached on the omnipresence of God. And I took that and understood for the first time that meant that God was there. And I ran through my, my list of what I considered my most grievous sins. And they were terribly heavy on me. Hmm. But the truth that I had always understood but had never really been applied to my heart was God saw all of those things, and yet he loved me enough to send his son to die for me. And that broke my heart and gave me a new one and had an utter new course in life after that. I was uh, engaged to be married to an unbeliever, and she couldn't receive the faith. I was soon sensed a call to pastoral ministry and had to, to break off that relationship mm. because she, she couldn't come to faith. I did not know that. That must have been really hard. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. I lost, lost my career <laughs> and my fiance. We had a date set for the wedding and everything. It was mm. a complete, uh, complete change of direction in life. Okay. Okay. So um, you decided to go to seminary then. Did you go to RPTS or did you go to a different seminary? The, the whole seminary thing um, almost happened by accident too. Okay. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> By Providence. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I was feeling, I felt the call to pastoral ministry or preaching uh, swiftly. I um, took a day off and um, spent the day with my pastor every week. And I was in a non-denominational community church. And one day I was uh, reading the scripture and I came across Romans 10, uh, where all those who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they call upon him and whom they haven't believed, how will they believe in him and whom they haven't heard, and how will they hear without a preacher? And when I read it, it was as if he spoke it to me and burned it onto my heart. And I said, oh, no, because <laughs> I hated wearing ties. And I figured that's that's what was going to happen next. <laughs> and uh, I started filling the pulpit in about 15 different churches in the area where I lived. I was young and enthusiastic. And the people loved that. Eventually, a man introduced me to reform theology with all the gentleness and subtlety of a machete. <laughs> and I hated it. Set out to disprove it. And setting out to disprove it, I became convinced. And we left the non-denominational community church and joined the Evangelical Presbyterian Church because of their reform soteriology and um, system of government. And once I was there, the pastor said, if you want to continue preaching, you have to go to seminary. You are uh, messing with people's lives and souls, and you need to take this seriously. And I didn't, my undergrad was an associate's degree in specialized technology, majoring in graphic design. I had never written a paper. I, I read um, only a handful of books, and we didn't know where I would go. 
I was living in Richmond, Ohio at the time. And a buddy of mine that struggled with same-sex attraction called me up and said, hey, we're having our Christmas dinner. My, my sponsor bailed on me. Do you want to come to come to our Christmas dinner? And I thought, no, <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> and I mentioned it to my pastor. I said, asked, do you want to go to this thing? And he had a heart for ministering to people who struggled with same-sex attraction. We went and my pastor sat next to someone that graduated from RPTS through, and I, I can give you as much detail as you want. Uh, it was remarkable providence. God blessed me and made it possible for me to go to seminary. It, that looked like me lowering my shoulder and running as hard as I could for three years to, to be able to accomplish seminary. And it was between my middler and senior year. I hated, I hated the RP distinctives. Uh, I thought they were ridiculous. And then between my middler and senior year, uh, my wife's former church called me up and asked if I would preach at a youth revival. And I hated the idea. I, I, I considered that um, primarily emotional hype that would give people a, a false sense of salvation. So I didn't want to do it. But for the sake of relationship with my, my wife's former church, I agreed to go. I preached the gospel and I discouraged people from coming to the altar. I warned them that this is uh, not a time for a quick fix or a time to make you feel better. But if you are convicted that you uh, have committed crimes against the Most High, that Christ has laid down his life for your rescue, and if you are convicted that it's time for a new life, trusting in and following Christ, come on up to this altar then, and I'll pray with you. <laughs> and one person came up. The next guy that spoke at this revival he um, he preached on and on, and even my son, who was around six or seven at the time, looked up at me and said, "Dad, this guy is talking crazy talk." He he could he discerned that what this man was proclaiming wasn't uh, wasn't really gospel, wasn't gospel salvation, it wasn't the scripture, and this man was able to convince almost the entire assembly to come up and kneel down mm. at the altar, and I was squirming. And he said, I know I went over, but I have to obey the Holy, Holy Spirit. He said, Jim, put it on track five and hit repeat. Oh, man. <laughs> and so they put it on track five. They hit repeat. Most of the assembly is kneeling at an altar, weeping. And then the sound system screeches and goes out. And everybody looks up and looks around like, where'd the Holy Ghost go? <laughs> And in that moment, I said, this is wrong. And then I had to say, but what says it's wrong? Is there something that regulates our worship and what we do in the assembly? And that sent me on the path of looking to see what the scripture tells us worship is actually meant to be. And I came to share the, um, the conviction that scripture tells us what we do in mm -hmm. worship. It regulates our worship. And I had to, then I had to join the RPCNA. <laughs> you had to, I'm so, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. And, but this is the direct course to my relationship with the Eastvale congregation. Would yeah. you like me to hop yeah. into that? Or? Yeah. I mean, that, that is kind of the, the next question. Um, like I, 
I know a little bit about Eastvale, but I don't know a whole lot about the history of the congregation, how long it's been around um, and how you even got there. So yeah, if you'd like to continue, that'd be great. History of the congregation, it's been there over a hundred years. It was a plant from one of the Beaver Falls churches. They started doing youth outreach there, as I said, a really long time ago. They used that to make a Sunday school and and then, which is a bit backwards, they built a church hmm. on the Sunday school. And so there, were, there was a, a weird dynamic with the, the Sunday school being its own organization, having its own checking account, its own board. So that was really, one, that is interesting. It is interesting, but not all that uncommon in, in uh, a lot of churches. Since then, there's been a bit of reform to where the, actually the, the session overseas the mm-hmm. Sunday school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so um, I didn't know where I was going to go. I owned a house in Ohio. I didn't know how I was going to participate in a congregation. My last year at seminary, between my middle and senior year, that I um, decided that I came to these convictions. And Lucas Hanna was my best friend in seminary, and he said, "Call Ed Robeson. Ed Robeson um, is working with this little church called Eastvale." They don't have a pastor. They haven't had a pastor for a long time, and they have a parsonage. Maybe you could work something out. And so I went as an intern, which really was the groundskeeper. Mm-hmm. Eastfield had a pastor <laughs> six years when I went, and they called me after I graduated and passed my exams. And I was in, I, so I moved there in 2006, and I was installed in 2007. Mm-hmm. And there's only a handful of people left that was there when I came. It was a congregation of about 24 people. Um, the whole session, I, I, um, everybody on the session and their wives has passed away. That was there when I came. And when you look around, as again, again, there's probably um, seven people that were there when I came to Eastvale. It's a whole new congregation. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, that... Uh... <clears throat> I mean, it, it is, we do grieve the death of saints, but it is encouraging, you know, that the Lord has preserved the church and um, he's preserved you while you've been there. Um, so we're very excited about that. Um, what are, this isn't really one of the questions that I sent you, but what, what are some of the ministries of Eastvale um, that excite you? I mean, of course, we've got the preaching of the word and um, Lord's Day worship, but do you guys, are you involved in like, uh, I mean, are you still doing Sunday school? Is Sunday school still running the church? <laughs> Sunday school is no longer running the church. Okay. Sunday school. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Good. We have, um, I'm teaching the adult class. For yeah. a while, it seemed like too much for me, um, preaching two services and doing Sabbath school. I, I really pour myself into my preaching and I'm kind of a one track mind. So it's hard for me to go teach one thing, mm-hmm. interact in good ways, um, healthy, strong, creative ways with the people, and then roll straight from that to introduce four psalms and unpack Christ from the four psalms Mm -hmm. and to pour myself out into the preaching and then preach again in the evening. But right now, I'm I'm doing it. It seems like the best option for the church right now. Mm -hmm. So Sabbath School is one of our ministries. I try to put a heavy emphasis on... um, being organized as families and not to not to segregate families. Mm-hmm. So I, I noticed that a lot of people who 
go into a school system where they're segregated by age, it creates a, a dependence on peers that isolate them from having helpful mentors a lot of times. So some people in the congregation um, or, or previous members of the congregation say, I, there's not people my own age. And I shrug and say, so what? Um, my kids, when they came, one of their best friends was Joe Kasky, a World War II veteran. Mm. And my children are only stronger from having a relationship with a, a godly older man rather than um, foolish children, mm. <laughs> for example. Uh, so ministry, I try to keep families together mm -hmm. as much as possible. It's, that's not what's happening in our Sabbath school. But midweek prayer meeting, um, I shy away from things like youth groups as well. So midweek prayer meeting is a family gathering and assembly. Um, we do have some older women now who are trying to invest in the younger women, um, as the scripture calls calls them to do. Yep. Mm -hmm. So no programs, but um, some some active discipleship. And I, I I long to see more active discipleship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're. Uh... I don't think we're totally age segregated. Like we have adult Sunday school and um, youth Sunday school. Um, we've got I think, 15 kids under 10, um, but we do a midweek Bible study as well. And, you know, a lot of the young families come with their kids. They're all kind of gathered in our living room. And so we've got, you know, kids drawing or playing with yeah. cars and stuff, which is, it's a little distracting sometimes, but oh. it's, it's a beautiful distraction, you know, yeah. to have these kids here. Then sometimes they'll perk up and occasionally they'll say, um, they'll add to the discussion or something like that. Um, but yeah, at, at keeping our kids, I mean, we're, we're Presbyterian, so we love our children. I mean, every, oh. yeah. <laughs> Baptists love their children too, but you know, we, we like to keep our, our kids with us all the time. Um, this is what happens when Joe's not here. <laughs> um, but you, uh, you did mention, you know, that uh, you're, you're preaching um, twice a week. Now this is the fourth question, but I guess I'm kind of skipping to that because it just flows naturally. Um, what, what's your philosophy of preaching? And, and by that, we mean like, um, are you more of a grammatical historical guy? Are you more like, uh, like experiential expository guy? Um, so what's, what's your philosophy of preaching? And then what does your normal um, sermon preparation look like throughout the week? My philosophy of preaching, I, I preach through books of the Bible primarily. There can be an occasional um, deviation from that, um, depending on what I perceive the need of the congregation to be, as well as answering specific tensions in the culture, uh, but primarily working through books of the Bible. I primarily start and I read through and I ask the questions, um, what, what questions should the people be asking about this? Will they be asking about this? Uh, I look and I consider the the active and present members of the congregation and wonder how would they understand this? How mm -hmm. should they understand this? I ask how they sh could be or should be applying it in their lives. So I'll walk through a passage with and have a main application with several, I call them steps or stepping stones to get to that or pointing to a sing singular, singular, single application for them. I, I like what Dr. Pruto had said. If they walk away remembering one thing, you've accomplished something. But do you do you tend to use um, Dr. Pruto's method 
where you've got like the seven um, moves to get to your application? I remember it being six. Oh, but... well, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, often, often, and there's things I'm sure I do subconsciously at this point. So I don't, I don't necessarily work to, I don't work to do that, but I think it flows naturally for me. Yeah. Um, and then when, so you're doing two sermons a week, um, how much time do you think you, you spend uh, per sermon? And like, what, what is, what does the preparation look like basically from when you open up the Bible to when, you know, you're given um, the closing prayer? I'll describe my sermon preparation and what that looks like by week. I, I prioritize um, preaching and prioritize sermon preparation. For that, what that means is when I start work on Tuesday, I, I don't do ministry work on Monday in an attempt to recuperate from the Lord's Day. Um, so when I go to start preparing, when I start on Tuesday, my top priority is my Sabbath morning sermon. I'll start working through the text, asking the questions, um, looking to see where there's any um, concern or variance, anything that's confusing. A lot of my preaching, and this is a, a bit of a confession for me, recently I've been worried that maybe some of it or all of it is too obvious to people or too obvious to the congregation. They, they could listen and just shrug and say, well, that's just what I would expect him to say when he preaches this. Um, that's led to me for my evening sermons to start to dive a bit deeper, read some heavier commentaries. So for my evening sermon, then I'm, I'm as I said, studying a bit more deep. deep, deep. I, I'm not saying this pridefully. I, I, I believe I have a gift from the Lord for preaching. It's something that comes generally naturally to me. And the, the culture that I grew up in, I'm also a natural storyteller. So sermon illustrations come to me a lot more easily than most people. And so, it, so Tuesday morning, I get to work. I'll work until I'm generally satisfied on Tuesday that I've got my stepping stones for my Sabbath morning sermon. I'll flow directly from that into my Sabbath evening sermon. And that's my commitment for Tuesday. Mm -hmm. And through the rest of the week, each morning, my brain works best in the morning. Mm -hmm. If I, once I put in four hours of careful thought, um, I don't have so much energy. I don't have as much creativity and ability to carefully articulate and explain and describe things. Mm -hmm. So for the rest of the week, every morning I will give to the sermon preparation. And, and I kind of say until my head's done is the way that I work. I, I try to have a clear outline by Thursday and get, have my bulletin information together by Thursday that I can send to the secretary for her to do the bulletin, which includes a, a skeleton outline for the congregation. Uh, that was a practice I started early on. Um, I buried a lot of people at Eastvale, so it wasn't wasn't uncommon for a a surprise funeral to sneak up or there to be some tragedy. And if I have a, a nice skeleton outline by Thursday morning, that's when I sigh a breath of relief and 
I'm not stressed Friday. I'm not stressed Saturday. And that's helpful for me walking into the Sabbath as well. At what what are you uh, preaching through morning and evening? Morning, I'm preaching through. Uh, morning, I had some trouble deciding recently. And I'll, I'll share this as a, a current tension for me. And someone suggested to start preaching through the Psalms. And I preached Psalm 1 and it was received beautifully. I know I've preached Psalm 1 before. I give somewhat in-depth uh, psalm introductions every time every time we sing, pointing to Christ in the psalm. Um, I was preparing Psalm 2, and providentially, uh, President Biden just put out this statement about transgenderism, and it's, it's specifically um, anti-God, anti-gospel, anti anti-life, pro-death, and it I, I intend to use President Biden's uh, statement specifically in a sermon and preaching Psalm 2 this coming Lord's Day in the morning. So Psalms in the morning, and I'm preaching through the Gospel of Matthew in the evening, okay. um, yeah. Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, well, you, you'd said earlier, you know, and, and you're preaching, um, you didn't use this word, but I mean, it's the basic implication that it's basic, it's what people expect, that kind of thing. But, you know, when I... Uh, when I sit down to eat a chicken dinner, I expect my chicken to taste like chicken, you know, and, and Jesus tells us to, to feed his sheep. And so, I mean, yeah, it is basic. The gospel is basic. And, you know, we need to be reminded of that over and over again. So, so I say, praise God for basic sermons. Yeah. I appreciate what you're saying. If you're eating a chicken dinner and all of a sudden you taste something that's not chicken, you're not expecting you spit yep. it out. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Go ahead. On the topic of preaching, there is a uh, there is something I'm considering currently to have a, a healthy mix of familiar and expected with um, with a touch of surprise and unexpected something mm -hmm. to make sure we're applying attention to the congregation in that so that we're spurring them on in love and good deeds. It's mm -hmm. not just oh that, that's what we thought he would say or I thought he would say, but that that's something worth um, considering, and I need to. Um, be taking every thought captive because all of us are in a place where we've got these vain speculations mm -hmm. that we're tearing down and, and throwing down and bringing our minds to the obedience of Christ. But, but that's something I'm, I'm currently working through. I mean, I, not to put you on the spot, but I am curious, like what, what would be some of those things that you've gone through um, in your evening sermons where there is some level of tension or unexpected application? So for example, um, courtship and dating how that plays out and what that looks like. So you bring that to a congregation, you've got people on a broad spectrum, probably in any congregation. In my own church, we could have people that um, people on one side would describe as Eliz Elizabethan. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a fair assessment. Then people on the other side would just shrug and say, Hey, it just, we just kind of did it. And it just kind of worked out. Mm -hmm. But calling a congregation to purity, calling them to um, actively guard their hearts, um, carefully watch their steps in an immoral culture. Mm -hmm. So whenever you're applying any application that everybody's not going to agree with, there's going to you're going to have tensions and you're going to have disagreements. Mm -hmm. So having the courage to say things that you know, people are going to disagree with is a bit of the tension. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I just sidestep that and say we're practicing parental betrothals. <laughs> parental what? Parental betrothal. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just uh, really make everybody upset, I guess. Well, I, 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 I love you know, and Joe, Joe is the same. We love hearing about how men um, go about their sermon preparation and their philosophy of preaching. It's it's encouraging to us as uh, young pastors to kind of consider how other men who are more experienced uh, go about this uh, procedure. So thank you for that. Um, my last official question. So you are a long distance runner. You like running in the woods. Um, you like running far. Is there any, like, is that just something that just alleviates um, pressure and tension in your body and your thinking? Or do you see any um, benefits as a pastor to be involved in running physical fitness, that kind of thing? So what, what's, I guess, the benefit of physical fitness for pastors? Yeah, I could probably have um, several, pull several bullets from what you're saying. The the one part about running in the woods, you know, God made the garden mm-hmm. and he placed us in the garden. Uh, creation is declaring the glory of God and it's right and good for us to spend time in the wilderness and to take some deep breaths and spend time with our heavenly father. That's, that is a piece of it for me. I think if I lived in New York city, I I would be less inclined to be running the streets. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that is another piece, physical fitness. I struggle with gluttony. I've been 50 pounds heavier than I am right now, multiple times. And I'm, I'm less capable when I'm, way overweight. Uh, People can look at it and they can see that I'm living like a glutton. And it's, I don't know how we can tell people you can overcome sin and Satan. If we're obviously not overcoming sin and Satan ourselves. So people will take you less seriously if they see that you're a slave to anything. So not being a slave to my appetite, um, beating my body, making it my slave to be as healthy as I can be without um, injuring myself on the other side, which I've done that Mm -hmm. too. I've overextended myself in the wrong direction too. So there's, there's a lot to it. There's, and it's a, you feel better and you work better when you're not a slave to your body. I remember at the seminary, I think you were preaching at chapel and uh, we were having <laughs> coffee. Yeah, you see, you remember this exactly. You were making fun of me for putting so much sugar in my coffee. And I was not just making fun of you. I was <laughs> you were rebuking me. <laughs> I was seriously admonishing. Uh-huh. Uh, well, I, I, I want you to know. So I, I went into seminary um, at 150 or 180 pounds. I left, you know, my highest in seminary was 220. So your admonishment was right because I put on I put on a lot of weight, but I've lost a lot of it too. So just you know, yeah, your, your yeah. mind can be at ease a little bit. Um, I'm drinking black coffee now. Hey, congratulations! Yeah, sort of- yeah bl- black coffee reminds me of Micah Ramsey. <laughs> <laughs> Bitter. <laughs> uh, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and I I was uh, thinking about this. I was talking with my wife the other day about um, health, and she uh, she's really wanting to get into. Um, more healthy food and I don't so we're going to get into healthy food <laughs> yes 
Um, but there is a really, it's very important um, for us to be healthy. And, and I'm 31 and I've got, Lord willing, 35, 40 years in ministry, I'm praying. Um, but in order for that to happen, we have to, I have to be a good steward of my body and take care of it. And if I'm eating junk, I find sermon preparation very, very challenging. I don't know if you do, um, but it's just, it's really, really difficult. Yes. Uh, my body's really sensitive to what I put into it. I, mm-hmm. I can tell pretty quick. Um, my wife can tell if I haven't eaten. She sees the, the general weakness that I'm experiencing. Yeah, I'm, my body responds quickly to whatever I put in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that uh, admonishment that you gave me, and I'm continued to be reminded of every time I uh, get up in the morning for my cup of joe. <laughs> yeah, and and I was I was being sincere. I mm-hmm. put on thirty pounds in seminary, and mm-hmm. it takes it's hard to get off. Yeah, it, it is. It is. I mean, uh, it's easy to, to gain weight in seminary because everybody loves the seminary and it's constantly bringing food um, for the students. And, you know, you can easily consume excess calories just by eating a couple cookies and things that people bring in. Um, so it's a blessing, but it's also uh, it's also a curse. Yes. Now, when we think of uh, all right, I got nothing. I was trying to transition to this last question and, and it failed. I was going to say curse, but anyways, here's, here's our pop quiz question. All right. So our fun little theological question that uh, we like to ask, this was Joe's idea to, to do this in the podcast. And the idea is to ask a question that uh, people have various opinions and uh, um, views on, but something that doesn't separate us from reform folk as reform folk, you know? Um, so this a set of questions we are asking who are the nephilim nephilim i believe they were um they were human <laughs> they had two human parents mm-hmm. uh, sons of god had children with the daughters of men sons of god as you look through scripture they're the people who loved god and believed in him and trusted him it, it's a consistent description through scripture but they intermarried with unbelievers and that was in a time in which the gene pool was more, more pure, more clean. Um, men were stronger. They lived longer. They were champions and they were the legends of old. Mm-hmm. That generation. That's mm-hmm. the, that was. Well, Micah, that was a basic answer. Was it? <laughs> All right. Well, I, you know, I, I, I love, I love um, heroes and I love champions. And mm-hmm. so I look at the scripture and I long to see, um, some supernatural, mighty, powerful beings, but God always smacks me down to say, "Hey, just just look at me, just look mm-hmm. at Christ." <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you are you are in agreement with the other men that we've asked that question. Oh, so oh. you can you can sleep well tonight. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> well, as uh, as we kind of land the plane here with this uh, podcast, our guest has been uh, Micah Ramsey. We appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast. If you ever get the chance to meet Micah and you shake his hand, be very careful because he literally will try to tackle you. It's happened multiple times. So I'm very skeptical to shake your hand. I'm, I'm just going to give you a head nod every time I see you from now on. Yeah, I'll get you from behind. <laughs> yeah, I know you will. I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> this has been another episode of the uh, Blue Banter podcast. If you'd like to um, help out the podcast, we'd appreciate you rating and reviewing us on iTunes or whatever podcast catcher you are on. 
We'd also appreciate it if you shared uh, any episodes that you like on social media. Joe and I don't have one, so the spread of this podcast is all kind of word of mouth. We do have uh, an email, bluebanterpodcast at gmail.com, bluebanterpodcast at gmail.com. So if you have a question that you would like us to ask uh, the pastors we have on here, or if you would like to recommend we interview your pastor on the podcast, please uh, send us an email here. And I do have a little thing for whoever sends us the first email. Now, what I'm about to tell you, you cannot tell Joe Smith. And I'm talking to all of those there at uh, Westminster and Denver. You cannot tell Joe that I am doing this. For the first person who sends us an email asking us a question or uh, suggesting we interview their pastor, I will send you a picture of Joe Smith in a Spider-Man outfit. And it will be yours to keep forever. Again, please do not tell him this. <laughs> so whether you eat, drink, or banter, do all to the glory of God.